Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the July 6th edition of the PFF Forecast. I'm George. I'm joined by Eric. As usual, we have a fantastic menu of items today. Um, uh, you know, a menu you might find at, at like the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, oh. You know, just chock full of goodness. Um, by the way, the Cheesecake Factory announced a new flavor today on July 6th. Was it in honor of Baker Mayfield going to Carolina? Who knows? We will discuss. We might actually talk about the football implications uh, if they exist. And we've got some very cool topics to um, to talk about. We're going to talk about quarterbacks. And a lot of the research that is happening at PFF has been looking at um, coverage. And in particular, what you know perfectly covered plays uh, due to an offense, who is facing them the most, who isn't. And there's some really cool things that come out of the data, like why Jimmy G is a G. Maybe not. We'll find out. Uh, plus wide receiver yardage props. And um, I've heard rumors that we will discuss and go into great detail on Aaron Rodgers' new tattoo and what it means. Let's rock. Alrighty. I'm back in Cincinnati, which is to say I'm back in a sauna. You're not. Um, you are coming to us live from Minnesota. Tell me your reaction when you saw Baker Mayfield is going to Carolina. Uh, that I quickly bet. So I had a big position on under uh, for Carolina and at what? Like five and a half. I had it like plus 110. I went and took like basically an alt to like secure a loss. Um, not a, a big loss, but just like, I figured that that thing, so it was five and a half. You, you, I think Mayfield's probably a win, win and a half better than Darnold. So I quickly got, got it at a stale book so that I, I don't really want to be in a position to root against that team winning six or more games. Mm -hmm. Like I think they're going to fight and scrap defense is pretty good. Um, obviously Matt rule is, you know, on his way out, but then you do have DJ Moore, who's a good receiver. Robbie Anderson is a good receiver. Obviously McCaffrey's a playmaker and stuff. So mm -hmm. like, I just quickly rushed. I, I, I don't have a positive opinion about Carolina, but I just don't really want to be that heavily invested in them being terrible. Cause I don't know if that's possible given the state of the NFC and like, you know, where they are in like a last place schedule and things like that. I think that's right. There are a lot of comments around 
oh, well, you know, Mayfield, Darnold, same difference. They both suck. They both suck, but like the levels of suck, I think, you know, are interesting um, and worth teasing apart a little bit. You know, Baker has sustained good play for a lot longer uh, periods of time th- than Sam Darnold has. Here's the, the, I think, the question in my mind, which is, can the offensive line hold up in Carolina? Because Baker Mayfield, neither is Sam Darnold, but Baker Mayfield is not necessarily, um, you know, running around back there saving time. And we've seen how poorly he plays when he's injured. You know, you look, you've got Iquanu uh, over there at left tackle. He's the, he's a rookie week one, they play the Browns. Um, that'll be a, a pretty big <laughs> matchup advantage for the Browns with miles Garrett going against Iquanu against uh, his old uh, teammate in Baker Mayfield. I have a feeling he will win that matchup, but to your point, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, they drafted Terrace Marshall. Now, Terrace Marshall was terrible last year, but he's a young guy, could improve. Christian McCaffrey is a good receiver. So if Aquanu comes in and is good, you have Moton on the other side at right tackle, who is 21st out of 83 uh, tackles. I, 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 they're going over five and a half wins, right? So I, I, think, that, I think that does make sense. Um, what are the chances that Baker... What I mean, maybe the price that you would put on Baker Mayfield starting more than a season for the Panthers? Uh, extremely. Uh, I would make it like four to one. Okay. Like, because what, here, what if they win eight games? I mean, okay. So I guess the question becomes like, what do they have to do to keep Matt Rule's job? Right. Because there's no mm-hmm. way that somebody comes in there. I mean, this is amazing, George. So remember last year when they started three and zero, and then they actually started out a pretty I good remember against very well. They were, yeah, they were playing against so, the Cowboys. So get this. So so Mayfield's first three games: eight point zero yards per attempt, eight point zero yards per attempt, eight point nine yards per attempt. Do you mean Darnold or Mayfield? Uh, sorry, Darnold. And then against Dallas, he was seven point seven yards per attempt. Dude didn't average more than six yards of pass attempt the rest of the season. 4.8 against Philly, 5.0 against the Vikings, dog crap, you know, dog bleep defense, 4.5 against our brothers in Christ, the New York Giants, mm. 5.4 against Atlanta, 5.2 against New England, 5.9 against Tampa, 5.1 against New Orleans, and 5.2 against Tampa Bay. Like that level of putrid quarterback play is easily surpassed by Baker Mayfield. Mm. I think that the, you know, when you look at Baker last season, you know, with, you know, even like all of his foibles, you know, he didn't average more than seven yards of pass attempt after week 10. Right. But it was at least like, you know, for the season, it was 7.2, which is a good number. It it very much trailed off after he got hurt. Yeah. Against Kansas city week one, 11.5 against Houston, 10.1 Chicago, 7.9. Yeah. Minnesota, that was a horrendous game, 4.7, but like down the stretch, it was very much like he had deteriorated so much. If he's healthy, like, I think this team wins. Like, it's a weird trap, but I think that they, like, let's say they win eight games. Does Matt Rule keep his job? Well, that and that's the thing. So, I I think it depends how the eight games look, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, be, to be really clear. I think Tepper is the type of guy that will be looking for a reason either to be positive or to be negative, 
right? It's mm-hmm. it's going to be one or the other. He's coming out of it going, we're, we're on the way to a Super Bowl with Matt Rule. Or, and why does he want to do that? Because he hired Matt Rule. So, you know, but he also does not want to go down with that ship. So he will make, you know, a decision. I think it's more likely than not, obviously he's gone. To your point about Mayfield, and this is the thing that stuck out to me. You can find this on pff.com. Promo code forecast, by the way. Actually, better even than that, you can get a free subscription with by playing $10 at underdog promo code PFF. But at pff.com, the quarterback annual, which is a fantastic way to prepare yourself for what these quarterbacks are going to look like next year. Um, Baker Mayfield, this is the thing that stuck out to me. So, you know, you look at his grades year over year, and uh, you remember his rookie year was absolute garbage. And then all of a sudden, Freddie Kitchens came along and it was a renaissance. And then it was Freddie Kitchens year. And that was terrible. And then the, the year after that, it was actually, well, you know, uh, things are kind of coming around for him. And he, he uh, played well, had an 86 PFF grade. It was a top 10 graded season. He has two top 10 graded seasons. Last year was a nightmare, 64 PFF grade. But the thing that stuck out to me, the league average quarterback took a sack on under 20%, just under 20% of their dropbacks, uh, pressure dropbacks. Okay. So every time they're under pressure, they're going down about one out of five of those times. Baker Mayfield took a sack 29% of the time. Okay. So 10% more frequently than any other quarterback. Um, you know, that is a remark. That's a 50% increase over the league average. That is bananas. And well, that were, that's, a, that should be worrisome because the, the offensive line is, is a question mark, but at the same time, he will also have an improved receiving core right? with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Tommy, Tommy Tremble's not bad. You know, uh, CMC can catch the ball. So I, I don't know. There's reason to believe if you want to be positive. Well, and, and Mayfield actually, weirdly, uh, if you count playoffs, has averaged 7.2 yards per attempt every single year, which is basically like, like a little bit above league average. Um, 7.7 as a rookie. The, the thing that I'll, I'll, I'll come back, you know, you, you bring up a great point. I think the question becomes how much of that was because of indecision regarding his shoulder, because the first three mm-hmm. seasons of his career, he took a sack on 16.2, 20.2, and 17.4% of his pressure dropbacks. Last yeah. year was the anomaly, right? Like it wasn't like when Baker but, threw the so ball. You, are you saying, are you saying that he took more sacks because his, his uh, shoulder was hurt? Like that doesn't make sense to me. It just, I think like that's, isn't, isn't that 29.1, like an indecision metric. Maybe. Like he's just simply like not trusting himself because mm. when so, he did throw yeah. it, it was picked off a lot. Right. Like yeah, it was not pretty, you know, he was not, I mean, he had 13 interceptions, but like, you know, seven of them in the last three games, including the green Bay game, he had four. And then that Pittsburgh game was yeah. an atrocity with two, um, you know, the, and the, and a lot more turnover when he plays it, you know, down the stretch there, he had three, two, 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 four, one turnover worthy plays. Um, he also had a pass batted down at the line of scrimmage in the last five starts of the season. Like, I just think, look, he's not like, we're not trying to make the case and, you know, the comments and everything. We're not trying to make the case that he's good. What I'm making the case is better than Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was like otherworldly it's a, horrendous. It's not a hard case. Sure, but I, I do but think Sam Darnold was otherworldly like, horrendous. If you're a Panthers year. fan, yeah, you're. Here, are you happy about this? I don't think I am. No, I mean, <laughs> the I, reason I think I'm the problem... not happy about it is that um, you know they have a better chance of of of, of keeping a retread quarterback, right? I mean, what would you put the percent chance that Baker Mayfield ends up becoming a top ten starter in the NFL? 
3%? Yeah, almost zero. I mean, it's, it's low. Um, and the, and again, like the other issue with Mayfield is like the upside has a ton of downside, right? Like Mm -hmm. we talked about this with Newton on the new England Patriots last year, which is like, if the guy plays really well, then he's coming back to the counter and asking for a pretty big deal. Like Mayfield Mm -hmm. is not, I mean, look at, look at what Carson Wentz commands on the marketplace right now. And Carson Mm -hmm. Wentz is, is a little bit better than Mayfield sometimes, but not, I mean, they're in the same cluster of QBs, right? And, you know, if, if Mayfield shows you anything, he, he has that first overall pick, like, you know, feature in his data set. So the next contract is going to be a big one if, if he, he shows you anything. So yeah. even, so even like the upside has significant downside if you are the, the Panthers, right. right? And, and so then let me, and take that was you... true about Darnold, by the way, too, as a third overall pick. It's fair. Um, let me take you to my immediate reaction. My immediate reaction was, oh, shit. Jimmy G might be playing quarterback for the Niners or on the bench for the Niners this year. Um, you know, I don't know where he would end up going. It's pro- I don't think it'll be Seattle. Um, Carolina was one of the few places that made sense. Cleveland. Cleveland. He's not going to Cleveland. They've got Brissett. What's the they, – I mean – has we ha- they have Brissett ever been like the answer? No, but apparently it's the answer for them. I mean, it, do the Browns have a clue what they're doing? The answer is no. They took on a significant amount of Mayfield's money, but this is the one year like the Browns actually, the Browns like saved themselves for this year, or, you know, saved themselves as far as cap space. Uh, they have the most in the league right now. Uh, effectively, they have 48. I mean, that they, they, there is like a Jimmy G sized hole in their roster. Really, it's a God-shaped hole in all of us, but there's a Jimmy G-shaped hole in in uh, the roster for the Browns. That would be, yeah, that would be insane, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it's a Jimmy G offense, isn't it? Like it's sort of that, you know, like play action. You know, let's get the ball to David and Joku oh, in space type. Oh, of, it is, you know. and I think he would do really nice things with Amari Cooper. Um, never had an Amari Cooper type, you know, with him. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that Um, that does make some sense. So speaking, speaking of our brother in Christ, Jimmy Jesus, we, uh, want to talk a little bit about, um, kind of the, one of the ways that we can look at, you know, quarterbacks is what they're doing within the scheme and the offense that they have. Right. And, and, one of the ways to measure that is looking at what we call perfectly covered uh, plays and contextualizing that based on what the quarterback, you know, ends up doing. Right. And, and you would kind of expect, look, the fewer times you have perfectly covered plays, the less frequently you, you'll throw to contested targets. And um, you were looking at this data. And so what were kind of the big kind of picture takeaways that you had? What were some of the outlier teams that you saw and what do you make of it? Yeah. So like for the season, I was putting together my like KPIs so I can go through. And I remember last year, one of my KPIs was like, how often are teams facing contested catches? And it was always funny because you'd see like the Jets were like third, the team that faced a contested targets, third least in the NFL. Uh, Bucks, you know, good receiving core. That made sense. Panthers, uh, Raiders, 
Chiefs were always like the only, they were like better than the next best team by like, you know, 2.5% or something like that. And, but then I, I created this, you know, metric where I, you know, we were looking at the all coverage data and we had perfectly covered plays. And obviously the, the flip side of perfectly covered means that like no one got open. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of this other side. And I, and we're very much of the defense, you know, isn't necessarily as important as offense. So perfectly covered is really just like no one got open. And I was noticing like, so when you look at the teams that, that generated the least amount of perfectly covered plays against San Francisco is first, you had LA, uh, you know, both of those seem to make sense. The Broncos, the Ravens, the Chargers, the Cleveland Browns, the Buffalo Bills, and, you know, Atlanta were like all like better or, or comparable to the Kansas City Chiefs. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, if I put this on a graph, can I learn some things about the game? And then, you know, you get that, right? Like, in my opinion, and you can look at my Twitter, it's, it's from yesterday. I said it's a good Mahomes graph. It's a bad Jimmy G graph. It's a good Russell Wilson graph because, you know, the, um, but like the chiefs were like, let's say, you know, top eight, let's say in, you know, percentage of plays that were perfectly covered against, but they were first in contested targets against meaning Mahomes, you know, he certainly had receivers to throw to, but he, he spotted the open guy relatively, you know, high as a function of the, the, the propensity of players to get open. Jimmy G, that, that Niners team was first in generating, you know, not perfectly covered plays by defensive back, by the defensive backfield. But Jimmy G was throwing the ball to contested players more than all but just like a few teams in the league, meaning like Jimmy was just reading the teleprompter. Like there wasn't going to like, oh, this guy's not open. I'm going to throw to a, the secondary player who's likely open. He was throwing it to the to the covered guy. Now, is that necessarily bad? Because you look at the Niners and they're like one of the most efficient teams in football, throwing the football. Um, my guess is that it's probably bad, but there's also like a little bit of like, hey, at least he throws to like, you know, the most covered places on the field are also going to be the most valuable as well. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It is really interesting. And one of one of the things that I think about kind of immediately, and I'm sure this is what, you know, a lot of people think of too, when they hear this is like, okay, well, if you throw to a guy who's, you know, perfectly covered, there's a difference between throwing it to, you know, Joe Schmo and throwing it to, I'll give you an example, like a George Kittle, right? Or, you know, we've talked about Debo Samuel, not, you know, not necessarily the greatest receiver on planet earth. It's a lot of his dual threat that, that makes him really talented, but he did have some really good receivers. And, um, you know, the one thing that you can say about Jimmy G is generally he's fairly accurate. Um, he was eighth, um, in the NFL in perfect pass rate, uh, perfect pass accuracy rate, um, last year. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Um, it, I also think about, you know, just because you are throwing to contested targets more frequently, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not throwing to open targets more frequently either. Right. Um, because, you know, there, there are guys with steps, you know, step of separation, which not, you know, a step of separation you might classify as, you know, close-ish coverage versus guys that are open, and he threw to, um, you know, to open, um, uh, to open players uh, right about league average. So, you know, I, I think there's some interesting, um, some interesting things to take away 
from from this data, but it's not going to pull. It's not going to take me off of Jim, the Jimmy G bandwagon. If you're trying to do that, it's not going to work. Yeah, the interesting one, and I do, I agree. I think it's styles of play because, like, you know, last year the Browns were well. So last year the Chargers were, I believe, fifth in this metric. You know, percentage mm-hmm. of perfectly covered plays against. So guys are getting open for the Chargers, but they were, you know, top three or four team in terms of throwing the ball to to covered areas, right? But like that's Mike Williams. That's mm-hmm. you know some of your guys. That's more of their style of play. Like, I don't necessarily know if I'd run an offense like that. Like, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Scott Turner, a guy that I praised here, one of the reasons I like the Washington Commanders over. I mean, they were, I think, third worst in the league in terms of perfectly covered plays against me, and their guys weren't getting open. They were also throwing the contested targets at the second highest rate in the league. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you does that d- t- uh, dampen your thoughts on Wentz a little bit, I think? Um, but also it's impossible to dampen my thoughts on ones. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's be very clear. Um, Um, But like Terry McLaurin's a guy who like from a stylistic standpoint is a very hmm. good contested catch player. So, you know, you add Jahan Dotson to the mix and maybe, you know, you add a separator that could really help them Um, Mm -hmm. to no one's surprise. The giants were the second worst team in perfectly covered plays against because you had Hmm. Garrett and you had, uh, you know, uh, Freddie Kitchens and you had, well, you know, uh, Joe Judge. My my favorite is the Seahawks at the only team above 45% for perfectly covered uh, plays against. Right. And the fact that somehow um, Russell Wilson is basically middle of the pack, like dead center in terms of contested target rate. I actually find this really interesting. So he and Lamar Jackson basically dead even, or he and the Ravens offense basically dead even in terms of percentage of the time at targeting a contested player, but the Ravens had the third fewest uh, perfectly covered dropbacks against Mm. and uh, over 10 percentage points less than the league leading Seahawks, which is really interesting. And I, I, you know, if I'm then extrapolating this a little bit forward, you know, you look at um, you look at a team like the Broncos um, you know, the Broncos problem is not, players separating or, or, or getting open it's that they didn't have a quarterback to to throw them uh, the football and it, this speaks i think well to you know russell wilson as a quarterback um what do you what do you make of you know the chiefs are obviously an outlier well not obviously but they are an outlier here if you look at it they are the only team in the nfl uh throwing to a contested target below 10 percent of the time that they are a significant margin below the next closest team, which by the way, is the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I don't, my immediate take is this is not an anomaly. Um, There's something here. Yeah. I actually think that it's one of Patrick Mahomes' weaknesses as a quarterback. Um, And you saw, and you saw it like, okay, this is a very good Patrick Mahomes stat but it also highlights one of his weaknesses as a player. Mahomes has an absolute cannon for an arm, but I do think that that offense with Reed has elicited so many open receivers that sometimes Mahomes just doesn't gun it into traffic as much as he Mm. should. So, Mm. you know, with Rogers, like I I think of Rogers and Mahomes similarly. And like when I early in Rogers career, you watch him and you're just like, good luck. They're mm-hmm. the league, right? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're 
when he was throwing to the back shoulder of Jordy Nelson, like there was no one that was going to stop that. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mahomes doesn't throw to the, I mean, he doesn't throw the back shoulder stuff, right? Like the, I think of the fade to Kelsey against the bills. Like that was one of like the few red zone fades they like ran all year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's not a guy, he's not like a pinpoint accuracy guy. He's more of a, and we saw this, you know, I, I think you see this in some of the CPOE stuff that we're talking about. He's more of an engineer throws where the accuracy matters less, you know, and to the, that I think this graphic shows that, right? Like he engineers throws where like the guys aren't contested. So then mm. the fact that he's maybe not the most, I, I hate to say this because I think it's like an absence of evidence, evidence of absence type of thing, but right. he's not like a put it on the correct shoulder guy. He's more of a move around. And like, I think about that Raiders game that you guys did, you and Chris, mm-hmm. where he he's running to one side of the field and it draws coverage and Kelsey's wide open. And everybody's like, right. Oh, CPOE would say that that was an easy throw. And it's like, yeah, like the mm-hmm. point is, is that Patrick is raising the expectation pre-throw. So like I think of the AFC title game on that third down and we're like, would you just try to fit it into Byron Pringle on that, you know, instead mm-hmm. of taking that sack? Like, I think that that's a weakness of Mahomes' game where he just doesn't pick his spots and throw to contested targets. Enough. Well, you highlighted one of the problems. You just said the name Byron Pringle. Like, yeah, maybe don't yeah. force it into Byron Pringle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, but you know what I'm saying. I, no, I do, but I think this is I, – I think this is strategic you know, what the chiefs are doing here. And I think it makes sense. The data bears this out in multiple ways. He was the best in the NFL last year, again, using the PFF quarterback annual, the best in the league last year at avoiding or or not throwing uncatchable passes. He was 30th in the NFL at perfect pass rate, perfectly accurate pass rate. Um, It not to say that he isn't accurate. He's above average. Um, very, very slightly just in terms of like overall percentage of throws that are deemed accurate or perfectly accurate. Um, And, you know, but what he does to your point is he avoids throwing, I mean, he avoids negatively graded plays, right? We talk about this all the time. He does this so, so incredibly well. And it's not just, you know, generally we think about sacks. I talked about Baker Mayfield earlier, right? You know, he's taking a sack one out of every three times he's pressured which is, you know, as I said, 10% yeah. above league average. Mahomes was at 13 and a half percent. Yeah. You know, it, it's the things that he does, which are so, um, you know, just so incredibly smart. And that, to your point, shows up in different ways. And I think here it's like, if you throw, if you, the work that he's doing is like before the throw, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to scramble around and I'm going to, I'm going to find an angle so that a guy, if I were in, if I were in the pocket, Travis Kelsey's not open, but I'm outside the pocket. I've rolled around or I've changed my arm angle or I've done this. And now all of a sudden this player is open. And so because I've spent, it's like, you only have so much like perfection in you. <laughs> he spends right. all of that juice up before the throw and then just worries about making sure it's not uncatchable. And, and then, you know, and it works. I wonder how much their new receiving core will benefit that because you look at not throwing to players who are, you know, maybe a little more contested or, you know, you know, you just kind of try and fit it in there. Um, have they built a, a team that, that supports that because Tyree kill wasn't that guy. Right. I think it makes sense, you know, given the, the receivers they have, but do they now have a set of receivers, you know, Juju and, 
you've got MBS and then you have uh, Sky Moore. Like, is that is that going to allow him to maybe have a little more of that um, uh, that gumption, I guess? Yeah, and and you highlighted a great stat, and I think it also shows up in the I w- what I would consider to be you know one B of the quarterbacks in the NFL. If you're looking at younger guys like last year, so Mahomes thirteen point four last year. 2020 was 9.6, which is Mm -hmm. a crazy number. 2019, 11.6. You look at Josh Allen, you know, and what has made him so great. You know, his first two years, he took a sack on 16.3 and 18.9% of pressures, which is like better than league average. But Mm -hmm. last two years, 11.8 and 10.6. Like to your point, like pressure does not take these guys down, which is really important. To answer your question, I think that this is this is going to be a season where, you know, you you've had seventy six of Mahomes' passes have been dropped the last few years. Uh, Twenty three of them have been Tyreek Hill. Like I think that they're, I think that they're just changing up. You know the, you know the like Hill's obviously amazing, but he dropped the contested ball against the Bengals that was intercepted in overtime. You know he had the pick six against the bills. He had, you know, there was a number of interceptions, you know, to your point where Mahomes was actually playing pretty well at times last year. And the offense was not being as productive because players weren't taking into taking into account, like the, and it, it was specifically Hill, but even Kelsey had had drops, you know, he had a drop early in the AFC, second half of the AFC title game that really hurt them. Um, I think when you level out your receiving core and you say, look, like none of you are the alpha except for Kelsey, but none of you wide receivers are the alpha. You can distribute targets based upon who's playing well. And mm-hmm. I think that that helps their offense be more resilient to slumps because when Tyreek Hill was slumping, that was, he, he was still getting the targets, right? Because of the, the investment they made and, you know, the number of snaps he plays. And when, when teams change their defense, they still had to go to Hill and it just came in the area. It came where he wasn't quite as good, you know, two and a half yards per, uh, a dot worse, you know, one and a half yards after the catch worse last year than nor- than the year before. And it's just like, whereas when your receiving core is more spread out, then you can, you know, a do what they're each one of them is good at and B you can distribute the ball based, based upon productivity rather than reputation. And so I think it'll help him a little bit. I think he'll, will obviously be a loss, but I think, you know, and, and you know, I think you make a great point. I think, you know, the limiting negative plays, my hope for them is they have a running back that can catch the ball out of the backfield, a la what Brady had in James White and, and guys like that where, and, and to a, like how much he prefers Leonard Fournette now, where a guy where he does all of those great things, right? He, he engineers a great play and it's still not open. He can just dump it off to the back the same way you look at the Super Bowls where like, Shane Vereen had 11 catches or so against uh, the the Seahawks defense when they won that Super Bowl. James White had what like 15 catches against the Falcons. Like, mm-hmm. there's that sort of like down payment of that running back that I think the team has missed for you know basically since Kareem Hunt left. A great way to transition. We're going to talk wide receiver yards props in just a second. Before we do, I've mentioned this at the top, um, but just another reminder that fantasy season is upon us. It is July. So you're like, I don't know, six, eight weeks before your draft. It's time to get rolling. And the best way to do that is at Underdog Fantasy. You can play in their best ball, best ball mania tournament. Sorry, I can't read. Um, and you can do so for a chance at part of that $10 million prize. Best part is all you have to do is draft. 
So you go and you draft, and then you don't have to worry about starting who this player or this player. There's no waivers, no trades, none of that in-season management BS. The best scores at each position play each week and count towards your score, and that's how a champion is determined. Go use promo code PFF, and they'll double your first deposit up to $100. And when you play 10 bucks with promo code PFF, you will get a free PFF subscription. So I have no idea what you're waiting for. Go make it happen, underdogfantasy.com or the Underdog Fantasy app. All righty. We're looking at uh, over-unders, uh, totals for regular season receiving yards. We talked about these for some rookies uh, a few podcasts ago. I maintain uh, my love for Sky Moore over 680 and a half receiving yards. What are some of the receiving yards props that you like? Well, I think there are some that would surprise people, right? So here are a couple that have surprised me in, in this in this realm. Devontae Adams, uh, <laughs> over over under is 115 both sides, 1,200 and a half receiving yards. I feel like if you're the Raiders and you get that number, you're disappointed, aren't you? Uh, yeah. I mean, He's I think it's nearly it a 1,200 yard receiver. I think it depends how it looks, you know, but like, yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah. And so another wide receiver that was traded for a bounty this offseason, Tyreek Hill. Um, and this is actually shaded under uh, 1,025 and a half receiving yards. So less than 1,100 yards receiving. Hmm. If you're the if you're the Dolphins and you get less than this number, you're disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. If you if so, I saw that one too, and my reaction was, if that's trending towards happening, then two is hitting the bench. <laughs> I, right. Yeah. yeah. These people. These the two anon people are really like you know they're coming out in fear. But like I always like to look at these these you know, not these markets and say like, you really, I mean, is this your King? But um, here's a, a couple others that I'm really interested in. So Terry McLaurin is a thousand and a half yards, mm. which is interesting to me. Um, I also think that Michael like Thomas at like 800 and a half yards is one that I find interesting as well. Um, Kyle Pitts at 900 and a half yards. And then lastly, this one's big, and I'm and I'm interested in your take mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. Justin Jefferson, 1,350 and a half yards. Yeah, um, it's big. I'm going over on Justin Jefferson. I think the dude lights the world on fire this year with an offense that wants to throw the ball. <laughs> I, I do. They're going to be in some high-scoring games. It's not like that defense is any good. Um, mm -hmm. Look, they hired Kevin O'Connell to make the passing offense great again. <laughs> that's what they did yeah, yeah and i mean we have them on pff.com projected for well over a lot 1500 yards just under 1600 yeah. like i saw this and i was like still too low another guy that i feel is still too low is cd lamb um yeah. guy that is going to just munch in terms of how many targets he's going to get was already dak prescott's favorite guy last year 11 75 and a half we have him projected at um 1300 so that's one that I like uh, as well that has a high, um, higher total. Here's one that I like that has a slightly lower um, total, and that's Gabriel Davis, 875 and a half. Now, uh, Gabriel talked, Davis is like your Tyler Boyd for he's, me. He's my, I mean, 
maybe it's because I've watched that Chiefs game so many times and the dude is just, I mean, he's making Kansas City barbecue on the football field. Um, But I think he's really good. And that Bills team is going to be, you know, the Bills Bills are going to try and win the Super Bowl in the regular season. Right? There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about it. Why? Why do I say that? You've mentioned this multiple times. The Bills have a great home field advantage. They have the high, they have, it's freezing. They have the highest average starting game wind temp, uh, wind uh, speed. It is a big advantage. Where did they play last year? You know, it, it's that simple. Like, like they are going to want yeah. to play at home and they're going to go out and try and win this. We have Gabriel Davis projected 11 hundred yards. So, you know, I I am, uh, I am a Gabriel Davis supporter, but the the data would back me up here. Gabriel Davis had just as good a PFF grade as Stephon Diggs last year. And if you go watch him, I think you can see why. Um, He was worth like a third to, he was worth a third of a win or so. Like he was a very good football player, even just with lower volume. I, I think you're right though, by the way, like what you want in these season, you know, prop markets, if you're going to bet over, you're going to, so one of the things I want to talk about is like separation and stuff. You want separators, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. fell into the Kenny Galladay trap a couple of yeah. years, you know, like that, that's certainly, you know, the last few years I bet Galladay overs and I, I, I did not think that they, you know, they, they ultimately didn't cash. I think that type of receiver is going to be rough. You know, that's why Jefferson's so good. And, 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 you know, because he just gets open um, mm-hmm. and it makes it easier on the receivers or on the quarterback. I'm sorry. But the, the one that I'm, I, the reason that I like what you're saying here is to your point, the bills are going to try to win the AFC one seed in the first eight weeks of the season, right? When they look at, when they look at, okay, what's the difference between us and the Super Bowl? It's like, we had to go to Kansas city both years, right? Mm -hmm. We had to, you know, we put, we put, uh, you know, our fate in home field advantages hands, in the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. They have not lost a home playoff game. They've won three playoff games the last two years, all at home, right? They're mm-hmm. a good football team. And they probably think if we can get home field advantage in this really difficult conference, we can ultimately win this whole thing. And to me, that's going to be them pumping targets to Diggs and Gabriel Davis in the first half of the year when the weather is good, meaning that those numbers are going to be astronomical. Whereas mm-hmm. last year, it was sort of this, you know, and they weren't bad in the first half of the year, but it was very like underwhelming in the first half of the year for them in large mm-hmm. part because they fell into what I, I call like Raven syndrome, which is like, you know, you face the Chiefs early in the year, you either beat them or you don't, but then like your motivation goes down in the second half of the year because what else is there left to win? We got to wait until January to actually get uh, what we really want out of this season. You know what I mean? And yeah. so. I think that the opposite approach is going to happen this year because they did that last year and they kind of messed around. They would go and lose to Jacksonville and, you know, they, they struggle bus against, you know, a bunch of teams and stuff. And then it's like, I think this year is going to be the exact opposite. I think this year they're going to try to tear the cover off of the league in the first half of the year. And that bodes well, because what you want is Davis and Diggs and stuff like that to have, you know, to be at a thousand yards by like week 10 so that you're not worried about these props in the second half of the year. No, it's a good point. Um, I have one question for you. So you cited uh, something that I thought was really cool and you put this in our show notes and um, guy who does some really, really great work is Matt Harmon of Perception Perception. Go check his work out. I believe it's just perceptionperception.com. You can find him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
you then, you know, taking some of that data and looking at, you know, how good is someone at beating man coverage? And that we talk about this all the time, like some stats are cool and that's great, but the stats you're looking for are the ones that are cool and also are predictive of what might happen in the next year, right? They're sticky and um, success rate versus man coverage unsurprisingly is sticky. Now, like, I don't think you needed, you know, you didn't need math to believe this, <laughs> right? But it's nice validation of that point, which is, what do you want? Well, I want to look at a player last year, say, did he do well? And then have some confidence he's going to do well again last year. When I looked at Gabriel Davis last year, I saw the guy turning receivers or starting turning corners into, into pretzels. You know, success rate versus man coverage, being shifty, being able to get open, is something that is very sticky year to year. And so my question to you would be, who are you fading as a result of that, if anyone? Like we've talked about a bunch of overs. Is there anybody, you know, is there a Kenny Galladay out there this year that you're saying, oh, I'm going under that person? Yeah, I. It, it's not, so, yeah, for sure. So, um, and, and the thing that I, I think there's the coolest about this is like how to play defense. So, um, one of the things that, and he does success right now, he does like a sampling procedure, basically, you know, so he doesn't look at everybody's route and like with our all coverage stuff, I think we're going to get, be able to derive this ourselves uh, for every player. But, you know, what he does is he looks at, you know, basically rate of double teams and, and, and also like percentage of, you know, times that sort of a player gets open against man and zone. And what's really interesting is the percentage that a player gets open against zone is basically noise you um, and so, you know, I think when, if I'm an opposing defense, I essentially, if I'm overmatched in coverage, I just play zone, right. Cause I, I'm going to basically like limit the difference between you and, you know, my team. So I always think of the Ravens where the Ravens played really good man coverage, but then they faced a team that was better than them. And it would exacerbate that difference. Like Kansas city would play them mm -hmm. and just fillet them. Um, but they'd play against like bad teams and they're, then they would be really good defensive. So, I think of like, okay, who's good against man coverage and then who's not good against man coverage. And to me, I would say, you know, like guys that are aging. So I look at Adam Thielen here, 750.5 yards receiving, like his yards per route run has gone down, like, you know, a substantial amount, like half a yard or so over the last few years. Right. So this is a guy that like is increasingly not getting open to get the targets. Right. And you look at his NGS stuff that's going down. So that's a player that I'm not going to buy into quite as much, um, you know, because of the style of play, but also getting older and sort of inferring from that, that he's not necessarily getting open as much. Mm. Another one, and I, I have to look at sort of the, the actual, but like, I think a guy like Chase Claypool, who's more of a Moss yeah. type, you know, guy is trying to Moss people, his total 725 and a half. Like that's another one where I'm a little bit nervous about, you know, um, I'm a little bit nervous about his ability to, you know, get open in, in some of these, in some of these, uh, you know, situations. So um, those are just a couple, but I would say like my, my basic orientation is more towards guys who can get open, the Jerry Judys and the, you know, the CD lambs and guys like that. Yeah. And away from those that need, you know, sort of the contested target stuff to really, you know, make, make way in this, in this league. Concur. Um, by the way, promo code forecast 25% off any PFF subscription, a ton of the stuff that we have talked about and use every single podcast. 
you can find at pff.com get all of unlocked content all of the different fantasy and betting tools that we use plus all of the grades and data to make your football season the best it can possibly be uh recommendations time um i believe you have a recommendation in here um so why don't you kick it off yeah i've been reading a book called do hard things by steve magnus mm. it's a very good book magnus is a runner and a running coach He's also like a, a fairly, like, I think it's a very cool, like I, I've been sending you quotes from it uh, all mm-hmm. week. So it, it's a good, uh, both for like management, but also just like your own individual sort of, uh, you know, orientation towards the world. I think it's a, a good book. I'm, I'm with you there. I have two recommendations for the people. Um, the good so, people. Yeah, the good people. Um, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to add a, I'm going to add some more. Um, so my first recommendation, I was in Northern California for the last week. And um, I went to some, some good restaurants. I'll give some out if anyone is there. The best Indian food that I have found, um, actually, I think like in the United States. Now, granted, I haven't tried every place, but like I've lived in a few different places. You've tried good, Yeah, I've sampled. Uh, a place called, called Darbar. It's in Palo Alto. It's incredible. Uh, and it's, um, you know, I recommend going and sitting down. Um, very, very, very good. Um, another place uh, that just opened up in Menlo Park, which is where I'm from, is a little sushi joint called Kyosho um, Sushi on Santa Cruz Avenue. You got to go early. I went there last night. They're like closing up at like 830, like waiting for us to get out. Um, but as far as like takeout goes, fantastic. Um, and then uh, recommendation for um, that's not food related is I just switched to a new sound weird, but I just switched to a new um, search browser or like not browser, but like a ser- search engine is the right term um, called Neva. And I was just getting fed up with every time I Google search something. This happened to me because I was looking for shoes. I talked, I, I recommended those shoes, by the way, still a huge recommendation um, called zero HFS. Uh, they're, they're awesome. But when I did that, I got like 20 sponsored things in my search results before I found anything that wasn't sponsored. And I was like, this is just garbage. And so I did a little bit of research and there's a company called Neva that was actually started by people from Google. And their whole thing is they do no sponsored stuff. Um, they don't, you know, they, they don't like sell your data to people. They, you can, you can log in, sign, you know, you can create an account. They'll use your, you know, preferences and search results to help curate things for you, but they, they make money with a subscription service. It's not, and, and there is a free option as well. So a recommendation for people that are sick and tired of being sold a bunch of garbage on, on Google. Dude, I, I on, what day was it? So some people watch fireworks on 4th of July. Mm, I literally went through all of my subscriptions. So like Patreon, nice, you know, whatever. And I like deleted like probably, God, what ended up being like $150 worth of stuff every single month that I wasn't using. To your point, like I had just been indiscriminately like signing up for stuff and not that like I need, you know, I just yeah. wanted to like stop getting these emails, frankly. And like, it was very liberating, very liberating. You know, you sort of, you, you strip things down to their essence. And, mm. uh, you know, by the way, what do you get when you go to an Indian restaurant? Because I, there is, and I, I try not, I, I, I eat yeah. it once a month because I'm trying okay. to thin out a little bit, but oh. like chicken tikka masala is maybe my favorite yeah. dish 
of anything in the world. I, I'm a big uh, chicken tikka fan, so that's one of the things I always order there. I'll say the other things that I generally really like, um, I like lamb quite a bit. Um, so lamb biryani is one of my favorite things. Um, I really like samosas. Um, I actually like a lot of the, um, the, uh, the vegetable dishes as well. Um, Vindaloo is generally pretty spicy and I like spicy things. So, you know, lamb Vindaloo is something I get. And another thing that I get is, um, uh, the, the tandoori shrimp, um, which I like quite a bit. I think shrimp and, and Indian spices go really, really well. So those are the things I get. Also, of course, uh, here's a, if you're going to an Indian restaurant, it's a good Indian restaurant, get a mango lassi. It's instead of dessert, they're delicious and you will thank me later. So there you go. Boom. That's our show. Come back next time for uh, more food recommendations. Uh, we love you. Thank you so much for hanging out and we'll see you on Sunday. Peace. Peace.